a series now, and I only have uh, just a little bit longer to go and it's before I conclude this because I really want to teach a series on family before the end of the year and really feel the Lord talking to me about, about family. And however, I feel like I need to, to make a couple of more points about this thing, the series I'm in right now that I've entitled Overcoming the Ancient Giants of this Modern Age. We live in this modern age, right? But we have all these problems and most of us think these are problems that are new. They're not. They're problems that have been around for many, many years. And we read it in the book of Jeremiah because all of us are, are a little bit dismayed by what's going on in society. Society is so fractured. Last Sunday, I spoke about unmasking the spirit of dishonor. And the response from that has just been incredible. If you don't show honor, you're, what you receive, your reward in life is reduced from what it could have been. The key to your advancement and promotion is showing honor. But in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, God told Jeremiah, For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land. Notice this, against the kings of Judah and its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. I want to read this in the book of uh, Jeremiah again, the very same passage, but this time in the message translation by Eugene Peterson. And this is what it says. Stand at attention while I prepare you for your work. I am making you as impregnable as a castle, immovable as a steel post, solid as a concrete block wall. And then this, you're a one-man defense system against the culture, against Judah's kings and princes, against the priests and the local leaders. They'll fight you, but they won't even scratch you. <laughs> I'll back you up every inch of the way. God's decree. Wow. I like to read these different translations that are sometimes what they might be better called interpretations. If you ever travel around the world, you know that there are thousands of languages and some languages don't have words that fit exactly in the same way that ours would. So translators literally have to interpret a, a word and, uh, Sometimes you see these translations and you say, I'm opposed to some of these translations because they're not like the King James. Don't use those alone. Use them to help round out your understanding of scripture, which is what I do. I stay with my standard new King James version, which is just common English. That's my language. Some of you were raised speaking Spanish and maybe other languages and you have a translation that you use. But I like to read a number of different translations so, and I also like to go back to the original uh, Hebrew and Greek so that I can get a better understanding. When I read this, you're a one-man defense system against the culture, it electrified me. Electrified me. Today I want to speak on this subject, resisting the modern-day spirit of Dagon. And you're probably saying, what? Dagon? Yes, Dagon. Father, would you speak to us this morning and let your word prevail in our lives? Would you open our understanding and give us revelational insight? Because it is by every word that you speak that we live. 
And we ask that you would help us to receive the word of God in our hearts where it would grow and thrive and it would be like a tree that's planted there that takes root and that nothing could uproot the principles of your word in our hearts and in our lives. And then we could see the fruit of it from day to day. We ask in Jesus' name and everyone said amen. I've already spoken about several of the giants that we face in our modern culture today. I began this series by talking about in it, but not affected by it. Then I spoke about speaking truth and changing culture. And last week, as I've already mentioned, I spoke about unmasking the spirit of dishonor. And I'd like to, as I mentioned, start a new series just right away. But there's some other things that we face in our society that we as believers need to be made aware of. You don't get to call yourself Christian if you aren't trying to be like Christ. I'm sorry. People appropriate titles and names all the time that they don't really have any business taking. To be a Christian means that you're called to stand both for what Christ represents and against what he opposes. You don't call yourself Christian unless you're willing to do that. That means we're to love people, but we're also to stand against evil, even if it's in our own culture. Everybody has their own culture. That's a big word these days. Being a Cajun, I've got Cajun culture. (laughs) I was in a Cajun restaurant yesterday afternoon. They were playing Zydeco music. Anybody know what Zydeco music is? You ever see that washboard they they put on their chest and that, that, that... They go up and down. You know what Zydeco means? You know where it came from? Zydeco is the word that makes the sound when you snap snap beans. Did you, you ever watch your grandmama snap snap beans? That snap sound? That's that thing back there, that, that washboard. That's where the music got its name. I can sit there and listen to that all day long. That's my culture, Sha. Amen. And some of you got some other stuff going on in terms of culture in your life. Amen. We're called to stand against the wrong aspects of culture. Nothing wrong with Cajun culture. Nothing wrong with any other culture. As long as it does not put forth the ideals that are are opposed in the word of God. At such a point... As my culture begins to teach me things that are not godly, I'm a Christian first. Amen. I'm a child of God first. I don't care where I'm at in any circumstance I am, am in, I'm a child of God first. Here and there, there are a few brave voices that are trying to call our attention to the fact that culture has gotten out of hand. But I'm going to be honest with you, for the most part... Have you noticed how silent the church has been about things like this? Church has been intimidated into silence. Jeremiah was called to stand against Israel's kings and princes. That stood for government and political leaders who were embracing evil and legalizing ungodliness. I don't care how many laws they pass legalizing ungodliness. Ungodliness to God is still ungodliness. Now, like I said, you've got to love everybody. You don't force what you believe on other people. But we have to stand for God even when Congress makes laws telling us that unrighteousness is no longer wrong. Jeremiah was also instructed to stand against Israel's priests. They represented religion. That's the second system 
The first was government, now religion. Religion that condones wickedness and refuses to address it any longer, no longer is to be respected by God. God says, I'm not interested in that. You oppose that. Jeremiah was even told to stand against the people who were embracing lifestyles that were ungodly. And what that means in this modern context is, I don't care if Hollywood does say that it's right. Or the stars of our culture declare that all of a sudden everything is now okay with anything you want to do. It's accepted. We as believers must still stand on the principles of the word of almighty God. I wish I could hear a better amen. Amen. We can stay with culture as long as it's it's okay. But when it moves from neutral to ungodly, that's when it becomes wrong. Having said all of that, again, I want to emphasize, and this is extremely important to me, that we have to love people any way you go through life, no matter who you meet, what what their beliefs are, no matter where it's at, you've got to respect other people. That means we have to respect people even in church that don't agree with what we do. Or we don't agree with what they do. My point is simply this. Christ said that we would be known by the love that we have for one another. Now, having done all of that, there are some evils. Having made all of this known, and I've emphasized all of this for a reason. Because now I'm going to swing for the left fence this time. Way out there. Watch me. I'm going to do like Babe Ruth. I'm pointing where the ball is getting ready to go. Okay. I was scrolling through YouTube yesterday morning to find the song, Where You Are by Leland. We just had Leland the other night for a Holy Spirit encounter. Man, what a song. And I was sitting in Scapole Airport. This This was yesterday morning. And I was scrolling through YouTube to find that song to use in my devotions because I have about three and a half hours where I'm just sitting there. And so it's just me and God. And I put my earphones on and and it's me and the Lord. What I'm about to show you popped up. I don't know when I've ever seen anything that contained more passion than what I'm about to show you contained. It moved me so deeply, I sat there with tears running down my face. Now, just hold that point for a moment. Right now, Kanye West is shaking everything up. People are asking if what is happening to him is for real or is this just a commercial ploy to gain back some of the followers that his irradical, irresponsible behavior has, uh, has, has caused him to lose. And he's just kind of swung from one position to another on a number of issues. And so um, uh, this popped up. I don't even know this gentleman. Some of you may. His name is David Harris Jr., He's a businessman, a public speaker, and a dedicated believer to Christ, passionately in love. He says on his webpage with his wife of a number of years. I don't know one thing about him, but I just popped up while I was looking for Leland. How it did this, I don't know. I'm looking for where you are, and this pops up. I want you to see this right now, and then we're going to preach. I am just uh, in my car crying because I'm listening to Kanye West's song, God Is, and uh, I'm having some revelations, folks. We've heard Kanye say that they are making us kill our own babies. Killing our own babies! Kanye, 
is sharing a message that the black church should have been sharing for decades. Decades! Where has the black church been? Where has the black leaders and pastors been? That they haven't said a word about all this abortion in the black communities. Where have they been? It takes somebody like Kanye West to have a heart change from God to declare they're making us kill our own babies. Where has the black church been? God is going to replace you if you don't step up into your rightful place and ownership of the position of authority that God gave you. God will replace you. He will replace you. And that's exactly what Kanye is doing. Where are the black leaders now that are rallying behind Kanye saying, you know what, he's right. He's right. We've been killing our old babies. 20 million black babies. <laughs> In our country, our God. <laughs> Where are the black leaders at? Where are they at? And then I had another revelation. I had another revelation. All of this non-stop rhetoric about racism. You know what it takes? The mainstream media, all these politicians, they keep pushing this racial rhetoric. It's causing more division in our country. You know what it takes? You know what it takes? <laughs> it takes a touch from God to realize that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <laughs> we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And once you know that, you can forgive. You can forgive anybody for anything once you know that we've all fallen short. That we are all imperfect people and that people have done horrible, evil things. But guess what? It wasn't the person. It was the devil behind the person. There's an enemy out there that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy from us. And he's been doing it. We've been letting him. Those in the church that know God, we've been letting him do this. The black leaders and pastors in the church that have been supporting politicians, I don't care what party, that support abortion, we've been letting him, we've been letting the enemy steal, kill, and destroy. And right now, that is exactly what certain politicians are seeking to do, and they're using racism to divide us. We can't let it happen. There needs to be an awakening in the hearts and minds of believers, of those that I don't care if you've been lukewarm, right now is the time, right now is the time to say yes to God, to say yes to God, say God, have your way in my life, I know I've been running from you, have your way in my life, I don't want to do it on my own anymore, do what Kanye did. You know what I really feel like doing right now? I just feel like getting on my face and crying out to God. It's not just black churches. It's white churches. It's Hispanic churches. He's speaking from his community. But the truth is the church has become silent. And we don't realize there are spirits behind the issues that we are confronting in this day and age in which we live. 
There are forces that are out there that we as the church are supposed to oppose. I wept when I, when I read that, or saw that rather. And Kanye's erratic behavior, who knows how that's going to turn out. I hope that he has had a sincere and heartfelt encounter with God. I'll tell you this, don't ever discount the power of God to change anybody. Don't. Don't. Because God can knock a soul off of a donkey on the road to Damascus. He can change anybody's heart. And I want you to know if you're here today and you need God, God can change your life in just a moment of time. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. God can deliver you and turn your life around. As David stated, and as I've often pointed out, these problems didn't just show up yesterday. God himself called the spirits that are behind these idols demons. Look at Deuteronomy 32, 17 through 18. They sacrificed to demons, not to gods. We just laugh at them and think they're ignorant people because they worship idols. What we don't realize is there are demonic spirits behind these idols. He said to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begat you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the father or the God who fathered you. God's instruction to Israel when they went into the promised land was to be very wary of these spirits. Lest they cause them to be evicted from their land of promise. Deuteronomy 18.9 When you come into your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of these nations. Why? Verse 12, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. God gave a strong word of caution to Israel that I'm bringing you into your promised land, but let me tell you how you can get evicted from it. You can get evicted from your promised land by letting these spirits seduce you. And falling down to worship these spirits and making them your gods. They will take up residence in your life. And some of them have already taken up residence in this nation. They've moved furniture in, painted the walls and hung drapery and hung pictures on the wall. I mean, they feel like they're home now. And the church has got to make sure that we stand for righteousness and godliness. Can I hear somebody in the building say, preach, pastor? The spirit of Dagon was one of the spirits that they encountered. This spirit causes you to make a God. Notice this. This is subtle out of both your problems and your blessings. Dagon was the God that the Philistines worshipped. I've mentioned him before. The Philistines were the people who lived along the Mediterranean Sea. The Philistines in scripture were the ark rivals and enemies of Israel. They represent the war that we face even within ourselves. That is the war of the flesh against the spirit. We're always engaged in that war. And God told Israel, beware of the gods of these people. They will destroy you. Why? Their gods were gods that, that catered to fleshly desire. 
The Philistines were Dagon worshipers. And one of the factors about worship that makes worship and personal devotion so significant. And if I've ever said anything that you heard me, I want you to listen to this. It's this. Worship causes you to take on the characteristics of what you worship. Have you ever seen some of these people in the news that have all this plastic surgery done so that they can look like their idols? And my heart goes out to them. They have no identity of their own. And so they want to live through the identity that someone else has created. There are people out there who have spent literally tens of thousands of dollars on surgery to look like Justin Bieber. Kim Kardashian, Madonna, Michael Jackson, and a number of others. You've seen them. They dress like their idols. They style their hair like them. They try to talk the same way, develop the same mannerisms, dance like them, speak like them, try to sing like them. And sometimes they even change their names to that of a celebrity, all in an effort to be like the person they are worshiping. Worship does that to you. When you really worship someone or something, you begin to take on the characteristics of the one that you worship. That's why you have to be so careful about what you worship in today's world. Yes, you do. When you're a worshiper of Christ, your life is supposed to begin to reflect who he is. Dagon was all about the desires of the flesh. The worship practices of the Philistines were exceptionally immoral. Dagon was also one of the strangest looking idols or deities that existed at that time. The upper or top part of the idol was the body and head of a man, but from the torso down, it had the body of a fish. The top part of the idol that looked like a man represented this fleshly nature, and the bottom half that looked like a fish represented, watch this, both their problems and their blessings. This God was the primary deity of the Philistines, and what you might not know about them is they, they were fishermen and traders. And so they would trade up and down the Mediterranean. They had ships that would go into the Mediterranean. They would trade with various countries. And they literally depended upon the sea to give them life. Anyone who's ever been fishing knows that on some days, if you're hungry for fish, I'm, I'm, I'm serious now, the best thing you can do is either go to a restaurant or go to the grocery store and buy some. Because you can go fishing and on some days, they, the fish don't care what you put in the water, they're not biting. And do I have any fishermen in the house here? And then on other occasions, you go out there and they just about jump in your boat. Amen. This was what the Philistines were thinking when they created this idol with the bottom half that was like a fish. Whenever there was plenty of food, that was a blessing. But when there was nothing to be caught, that was a problem. And so they began to make their God look like their blessing and their problem. Hello. This God was also very capricious. He could be angry at his followers one moment and in favor of them the next. This idea came partly from the fact that the sea has a huge element of uncertainty about it. If you want to really feel small... Get in a ship and go so far out into the ocean that you can't see land anymore. I've done that on a number of occasions and it will make you feel small. You want to really feel small, be out there when a big storm comes up. I promise you that will make you feel small. I was on an island in Micronesia when a typhoon came through. 
and the hotel was right there at the water and they were thinking about evacuating us up into the hills into some tunnels the Japanese had done in World War II. It was something. It will make you feel small when you see those big waves come crashing in. And so there, in their day, there was no AccuWeather forecast. There was no weather radar to tell when a storm was approaching. And so ships would set sail. And if they made their passage successfully and returned after a successful trip of trading, you know what that meant. That meant that they had been blessed by their God in their mind, Dagon. But if violent weather caught them at sea and their ship went down, it meant Dagon was unhappy with his people. And the poor results from their trading experience and the loss of the ship and so forth meant that this was, of course, a problem that had been caused by Dagon's anger. I want to pause right here. And I want to say the God we serve is not like Dagon at all. Our God loves us and is committed to us all the time. I need a better amen right there. Amen. He will never leave us nor forsake us. I want you to know that in good times or in bad, God loves you just the same. In fair weather or in storms that we go through, God still loves us. Now, this is where our God differs from that God. Because when he was angry, the storms came and they were defeated. Their, their purposes were not allowed to be successful. They couldn't fish. They couldn't trade. But when he smiled, then everything was okay. I want to show you how our God differs from that. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 8, the Bible tells us this incredible story of the disciples who were in a boat when a violent storm suddenly arose as they were crossing over to the other side. They were on the verge of going under. I want to ask you, has there ever been a time in your life when you thought you were about to go under? The reason they were in the boat is Jesus said we're going over. They thought they were going under. When you stand on the word of God, you go over. It doesn't matter what it is that you're encountering by way of a problem. Preachers always preach about everything else, but leave the main part of this story out. You see, they talk about Jesus asleep in the bow of the boat and the disciples went and woke him up and said, don't you care that we perish? And he stood up and said, peace be still. And, and the, the vast sea became a placid and calm uh, lake of water again. And they always preach about how God can steal the storm. But everybody overlooks what I think is the main point of the problem. And that is Jesus was in the boat in the middle of the storm with them. What am I talking about? I'm talking about when the storms of life rage. He did not leave you. He's still there with you. Can I hear somebody in the house shout amen? To the Philistines, it meant that their God had abandoned them. Our God doesn't abandon us in the storm. He's with us in the middle of the storm. And I need to tell somebody that here today. I'm talking right now to somebody who's going through a storm. I feel it in every part of my body. I sense I'm talking to somebody that doesn't know how it's going to turn out. I I have good news for you. You might not know, but there's somebody on board the boat that's not going to let you go under because he said you got to go over. High five somebody and say, I'm going over. Would you do that? 
Paul tells us in Romans 8, 28, that, he, that we serve a God who causes all things, good or bad, to work for our good. Listen, we know that all things, everybody say all. All things work together for what? What I'm going through is working for good. What I went through yesterday is working for good. What I go through tomorrow is going to turn out to my good. Did you hear that devil? No matter what I face, it's turning to my good. You can't see how right now because you're bobbing like a cork on the middle of a storm-tall sea. But I promise you, God is going to cause the storm to become one of your greatest blessings. This spirit that caused the Philistines to make a God out of their problems and their blessings is still around today. It's largely a preoccupation with materialism. That's something that people don't want to hear talked about in today's materialistic society. But God told Jeremiah, I want you to cry out against government that's wrong. I want you to cry out against religion that's wrong. And I want you to cry out against culture that's wrong. We've got to take a stand for what's right. Do I believe in getting blessed? Yes, sir, I believe in the blessed life. I believe I'm blessed coming in and going out. I'm blessed when I sit down and I'm blessed when I stand up. Is there anybody else in the house that's walking in the blessing? Not a blessing, you're walking in the blessing. You know what I'm talking about? Esau said, I want a blessing. Jacob wanted the blessing. It's gonna follow me everywhere I go. I'm walking in the blessing. Amen. So you know my position on that. Even when it looks like I'm cursed, I can tell you I'm still blessed. Even when it, I'm on the bottom, I, I need you to know this. I'm still blessed and I got to quit. But listen, this spirit would make God seem to be unfaithful and as capricious as Dagon. It would make you think that God is given to whims and unreliable impulses and if there's anything that i've ever learned about god in my years of serving him it's this that he is the same yesterday today and forever my god can be depended upon hello somebody he is faithful the spirit of dagon manifests itself in several different ways you can always tell when that spirit is at work at somebody's, in somebody's life. The first dead giveaway is because they want to make a God out of their problems, like I just said. That's all they talk about. You say, how do I make a God out of my problem? That's all you talk about. Anytime I get around, I got this, this problem and this, this. And you can't get your mind off of anything. You can't think about the greatness of God. You've made your God your problem. You've exalted it until it squeezes everything else out of, out of the horizon. You don't see anything else but the problem. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about Haman. He was the spirit that wanted to forever silence the church and destroy its influence in the world. And the story is found in the book of Esther. I didn't cover a part of this story. You will find in the book of Esther that Haman hated Mordecai, Esther's uncle. Haman actually went home and built a gallows intending to hang Mordecai on it. And then I want you to also remember that Haman was second in position in government over the entire Babylonian realm that consisted of 127 provinces. Amen. He was very high placed in government. I don't care how high placed the devil gets in political systems. We still have to be children of God. 
I wish I could hear somebody. I, I know I keep asking. I tell you what, you just sit there and be quiet and I'm going to say it myself. Preach, preach it. Amen. Haman was invited to a private party hosted by Queen Esther. The only other man other than the king who was invited and permitted to attend. This is what he did. He went home. He called all his family, all his friends together, boasted about his wealth, his riches, his house. Have y'all seen my Bentley lately? Have you, you seen my swimming pool? Have you seen my CDs and my retirement, and my 401k and, and, and my investments? And I'm second in command over this whole province. And I'm the only other guy other than the king who's been permitted to come to this particular party. Then he said this, Esther 513. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting in the king's gate. He's got everything in the world going for him but one thing. He can't think about the good things. All he can think about is the one thing that's not going right. I'm talking to somebody right now. You got so much good going on in your life. You ought to be dancing and thanking God for everything that's happening to you right now. You ought to wake up in the morning with a hallelujah on your lips. And you ought to go to bed at night saying, God, you're so good to me. But you know what you're doing? You're focusing on the one thing that's wrong. That's the spirit of Dagon. You know how you resist that spirit? Develop an attitude of gratitude. What Haman should have done is say, Whoa, thank you, Lord. Look at my pool. Thank you, Jesus. Look at my house. Thank you, Jesus. Look at my promotion. Thank you, Jesus. But he didn't. He said, I can't be happy because that guy sitting in the king's gate right over there. All of his blessings meant nothing. Don't you let the enemy cause you to turn your problems into your God. Don't you let your problems be magnified. If all you talk about is your problems, you got a problem. And it's not the one you think you got. On the other hand, you see people who have fasted and believed God for a breakthrough for a long, long time, prayed, and after years of seeking God, finally they get their breakthrough. The next thing you know, they have allowed their success to come between them and their devotional life. That's when you start making your blessings become your God. Oh, Lord. You would think they especially would spend the rest of their life thanking God, praising God. Worshiping God, but all of a sudden, I mean, all those years of fasting and praying, now they don't have time for that anymore. I'm blessed. I don't need to go to church anymore. I don't need to be in the house of God. They lose their faithfulness. They don't tithe anymore. They don't have time to serve God, worship other, or worship God. They don't have time to to serve others. Now that they've been too, they've been promoted. They, they're just too busy for all that. I want you to notice the example of Jesus and I close with this. Did you ever notice in scripture that the more miracles he did, the more he prayed? Didn't notice that, did you? He became extremely busy and was extraordinarily successful in terms of his career in ministry. And we use the word career there just so that we might be able to draw an analogy from it. He became so popular. Listen to this. He could not even go to the desert by himself. You ever been to a desert? A spiritual desert? I won't see the hands of anybody that ever walked through a desert place in their life. I tell you what you learn. You learn the same thing that I did. Folk didn't want to go with you into your desert. 
They said, we'll sit right here. We'll sip iced tea and enjoy the air conditioning. When you get done, you come on back. We'll be here. Jesus, they followed him into the desert. His disciples panicked. They didn't know where they were going to get enough food to feed all those people. It got so bad in Jesus' ministry that literally to have time to pray, he had to pray at night, all night. It's the only time he could be alone with God. But what I want you to notice from that is this principle that no matter how busy he got and how successful he became, he never allowed anything to interfere with his devotional life. Don't let your blessings become your God either. Not only don't let your problems become your God, don't let your blessings become your God. Both beliefs are equally dangerous. I'm done. I got to quit. I'm not even finished. Can I finish this next week? Is this okay? Amen. Can I talk to you a little bit more? Because I want to talk to you about how to defeat that spirit. Would you stand with me right now? Because I, I you know, I tell you what happened as we were preaching through this just a moment ago, and I want our ushers to quickly come. Bam, I hit something. I know you felt it. I did. All of a sudden, I connected with something going on in somebody's life. Somebody in this building is walking through a rough place. You in a storm right now. You're in a difficult place. You think that God left you. I want to tell you the God we serve did not forsake you. And I want to tell you, if you're here today and you haven't given your heart to God, a lot of times the storms you go through are where you will find God. How many of you found God in a storm? I did. David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I kept thy precepts. Well, that was me. I had storms. And I came to God and found that he was there waiting on me all the time. 